God, we acknowledge that you are king and Jesus, your name is alive. And the shadows can't deny. And, and Jesus, we, uh, we just we rest in your name and um, just thankful that we can sometimes, um, God, I just know that in the moment, whatever a week looked like, and it's, it's hard to feel like raising our hands or feel like singing. And I know some of us are coming in with weeks that look different than others. And God, some of us are sitting in valleys. Some of us are, are just enjoying mountaintops of where we are in life. And I th- I'm thankful that you know all of our stories. You know, you know what's hurting us. You know what's giving us joy, what's giving us happiness. And, and I'm thankful that we can get all those things on the table and we can all agree um, that having a relationship with you, Jesus, is the only way that we can find true joy, life, hope, meaning, healing, worth. So God, thank you for the time we just had to just acknowledge the truth that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that you are Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We are so thankful for the name of Jesus and we just raise it up this morning. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Church, good morning. I'm glad you guys are here. Say hello to those around you. Can we, can we just clap and thank God for who he is in the house this morning? Can we get excited about that? Guys, we're glad you're here. A few things I want to share with you. Um, just some really cool things we have coming up. A few things to highlight. A lot of this information is in your bulletin. But if you pass the folders down the rows, you appreciate that. Um, but we are just humbled at what God's doing. And there's a really exciting thing happening next, this coming Friday on the 19th. We're having a movie night. And this movie night is going to be How to Train Your Dragon 3. And we're going to be showing it down the field. And that's going to be at 8.30. But come earlier, from 6.30 to 8.30, we're going to be having inflatables for younger kids, for elementary school kids. We're going to be having just, you know, like throw some Frisbees and footballs and just relax. And there's going to be concession food, you know, dollar concession food the whole night. And so that's going to be on the 19th this coming Friday. All we're asking is that you would just register on our website and then bring your ticket on your phone or print it, or tell us to print it, and we can print that for you. Uh, but make sure that uh, you get registered for this Friday. And we just want to know how many people are coming so we know what to expect for food and space and all that. So that's going to be this Friday, the 19th, How to Train Your Dragon 3. Please come, grab a chair, a blanket. It's going to be just a, a, a fun night to just relax. Just be just be a family, just relax and enjoy some, some good times. And so that's going to be this Friday. And then on the August 4th, we're going to be having our church picnic catered by V&V Scratch Kitchen, local. Yeah? <laughs> Man. So that's like the second time that people have like literally hollered out. It's good. Everybody loves food. We love food here at Crossroads, if you haven't noticed that already. Um, but that's going to be on the August 4th, and you can do several different things for us. One, tell us you're coming. Talk to Cindy in the lobby. You can talk to her. You can get registered on our website, again, so we can know how much food to get, um, all the things that we have planned. Uh, we have cornhole tournament, softball game. 
Um, there's going to be a balloon artist. That he, he's great, really great. Um, and then we're going to be having just a lot of fun. So please, if you've been here for a week or you've been here your whole life, we're inviting you to come join us on August 4th at, at Palmer Park in Denora. And uh, you can register on our website to also help um, to set up, tear down, clean up. Um, also help with um, food or games or just say, hey, I have a different idea of something I can bring to the table. So just let us know. Talk to Cindy. Grab me um, and do all that um, today and just get registered so we know how many people to expect. But it's going to be a really good time to just slow down a little bit. And it's summer, so there's no perfect time to do it. No better time to do that. So join us on August 4th at Palmer Park. Guys, I'm going to just say very much that I love this place. I love what God is doing. And I'm hearing story after story after story of just surprise at what God is doing in the lives of, of, of our families and the lives of those that we do life with. And so I know some of you this morning may be feeling like, is God working? Is God doing stuff? Oh, yeah. Like people this week came to Jesus. Can we just celebrate that? People said yes to Jesus this week. And there are kids downstairs right now who are hearing about Jesus. There are kids in our student ministry last hour hearing about Jesus. And I know we have people joining us online that are searching. People have been following Christ. Guys, that is, you are not alone where you are in your walk with Christ. So just never doubt that. God knows where you're at, and we're so thankful for you and what God is doing. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward as we receive this morning's offering. If you're brand new with us, feel free to let this play pass. It's for those that call this church their home. You're welcome to participate. Maybe your way to participate this morning is to write down a prayer request. Grab one of those cards in front of you, write a prayer request down, make it anonymous. You can put your name. It doesn't matter. We pray for it anyway. Anyway, but maybe that's your offering this morning. Please, if you're new, please stop by the Welcome Center and talk to Wade and Nancy and Josh and the team out there. They would love to connect with you, hear your story. They also have something free to give you, which is always good. So please talk to the Welcome Center. But let's uh, let's go before the Lord as we continue on. Jesus, we uh, love you. We acknowledge who you are as our God, our King, our Savior, our Healer. In your name, we have strength. And I know that daily we need to draw from you, draw from that well. And I pray that every day we wake up and we would just spend time with you, whether it's just praying or just thinking about you or we're talking about you with our spouse or our kids or we're just reading in your word, God, whatever it is, that we would just be constantly surrounding ourselves with you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for chasing after us, for finding us and loving us on our worst day and loving us on our best day. Thank you for these wonderful people here, for what you're doing in this place, for this amazing time of, of worship we just had. And God, as we open up your word and dig into your scriptures, I pray that you would just meet us in a way that um, you've not met us before. Would you give us a fresh perspective of who you are and what you're doing? We love you, Jesus, and all things we ask in your name.
What? No one's chasing me. I'm chasing you. I can't do this to you. I'm not like you. I'm nothing. Just let me be nothing. What are you talking about? I can't make a track team. I didn't even know why you Yes, you can. To... If you can take it, you can make it. What? If you can take it, you can make it. All right, you train, you fight way harder than those other guys, and you win. You get out from under them. Or you keep going the way you're going, and you end up as a bum in the streets. You can do this, Lou. Just got to believe you can. I don't believe. I do. Come on. Andiamo. Forza! Va bene. Unbroken 2014. There was another movie came out by the name of Unbroken this year, 2000, actually 2018 it was. And uh, so that was Unbroken, The Path to Redemption. This is Unbroken, the 2014 one. It's a story of Louis Zamberini, okay? Louis Zamberini was, uh, was in the military uh, at the time of World War II. He's in a plane and he's going down. There's a crew, and uh, and this plane is going down. They're over Japan, and they're going down into the Pacific Ocean. And it's like, man, all of a sudden, he has this flashback. And so the scene that you just saw was a flashback. It was a memory of whenever he was a kid. And you could imagine, if, if you were in a plane that was going down, what would be going through your mind, right? 
What would be flashing through your mind? And that was the, fir- uh, the one of the first scenes that they show. It flashes back and shows his childhood. And it goes back through his mind of, uh, of you know, he had a troubled beginning. He really did. And, uh, and he really, the, the story of Louis Zambrini, and this is based on a true story. There's a biography written about, uh, about him. You could go read his biography, uh, on, uh, named Unbroken. But uh, as you go and you read it, you understand that this guy, had a, he had a tough time. But as we start into this this morning, I want you to remember this, that we all have a story, and you have a story, I have a story, but God is the one who is writing our story. Now listen to this. Psalm chapter 139, verse 16 says, In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, yet, uh, when as yet, there was none of them. Every day, before I had my first day, God wrote that day down in the book for me. Before I had today, he wrote, the book, he wrote the day down for me. He knows the days. He knows how long you will live. He knows everything about you. So God is writing your story. And as Louis Zambrini, as he's going down into the ocean, he's flashing back and he's remembering parts of his story. The part of his story that he's remembering, it's coming back into his mind, is that, uh, that as a kid, he really had a troubled beginning. Uh, they, they show him getting into mischief. He went into a store and he stole some little things, and uh, he was actually running from the police, and it was pretty good, and the police could never never catch up to the guy, right? And uh, I always tell people, you know, I, I was never that fast, so I didn't run from the police as much as I wanted to, right? Uh, whenever I was young in Dormont, I remember we would take snowballs, and we would take and we would throw them against some Port Authority buses. I'd hide behind Eaton Park on Route 19 there, all right? I'd hide behind there, and, and my mom, God bless her, she never heard this. I'm like, Mom, she's sitting in the church tomorrow. I'm like, please, you know, I'm so sorry. But anyhow, I'm throwing the snowballs at the buses. Man, them buses would stop. You'd see a police run. We would just take off down the alley. I'm glad I never did anything real big because they'd catch me, right? But a snowball, they didn't get me that bad, right? But, uh, and I want you to think about this because here was Louis Zambrini. He's running from the police. He's doing his craziness. And, uh, and his brother Pete comes alongside of him. And Pete gives him encouragement. Pete tells him, hey, you know what? Why don't you take that speed? Instead of running from the police, I think you'd be pretty good at track. Why don't you see what we can do in school? And, and so Pete, uh, Pete comes alongside him, and he becomes an encourager. And you know what? As he's going down into the ocean, he's reminded about, about his childhood, reminded about this, this person who come alongside of him and encouraged him. Uh, you know what? Pete would often say, I can't do this. I'm not like you. I'm nothing. Uh, Louis, Louis would say this to Pete. I can't do this. I'm nothing like you. I, I, I am nothing. Just let me be. And Pete, his brother, would come alongside of him and encourage him. And, you know, I think we do the same today. God has something he wants for each one of us to do. And how often do we come before God and tell him why we can't do it? Uh, you look at Moses, for example. Moses with the burning bush. So Moses come along, and God's talking to him through a bush that is burning. It's not consumed, but but it's uh, you know he's hearing the voice of God right through this bush. And God tells him, "Listen, I want you to let my people go. I want you to be the one who's going to lead my people out of Egypt." You're going to go tell them, let my people go. And so as he does, Moses goes before God. Moses says uh, over in Exodus 4, verse 10, he says, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, not recently or in the days gone by, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and I am slow of tongue. Then the Lord says to him, Who has made a man's mouth? 
Or who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. I, I want you to catch us because we typically come back to God and we, we tell him what we can't do, why we can't do it, and all of our shortcomings. And God says, Listen, I've got a plan for you. We need other people to come alongside of us and to remind us of God's plans. That's what encouragement is. Uh, Gideon, Gideon came before the Lord. Gideon said, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the greatest, is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. He says, listen, God, how can you use me? I'm just, I'm just a nobody. Well, folks, that's who God's looking for. God's looking for the nobodies to use. And, and so he's looking to, to use you right where you're at. Uh, Peter said, go away from me, Lord. For I am a sinful man. And so as we see that God has a plan, we, our first recourse is to tell God no and why and why he should choose somebody else. In the meantime, God is speaking into us and he has a plan. He's trying to direct your path. He wants to direct your path and he wants you to follow him. Um, as, as Louie in our story this morning, he had a brother, Peter, that came along and encouraged him, came alongside. And God has given us the ministry to come alongside and encourage others. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Look what it says here. Uh, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Isn't that powerful? God... God had anger at our sin, and he chose not to pour that anger out on us. Who did he pour it out on? Jesus. So God took the anger that was due for me, he took the anger that was due for you, and he poured it out according to this verse. God chose to save us through Christ, not to pour out his anger on us, but he chose to pour it out on Christ. Verse 10, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or whether we are alive when he returns, we can live for, with him forever. So, encourage. Here it is. Encourage one another and build each other up just as you are already doing. We, we have a tremendous responsibility within the body of Christ to come alongside of each other and speak truth and encourage and tell the, tell the body of Christ, fellow members, look, God has a plan. He's not done with you yet. It may be hard. It may be painful. But he's not done. God is still in charge. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another. How often? What's it say? Daily. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, You know, that's what sin does. Sin hardens our heart, and it's the deceitfulness. You know what? Sin always tells you that God's way is not as fun. It always tells you that sin's way is more appealing, more like what you know. You can do this on your own. You can, you can take this in your own power. And that's, sin's way is always deceitful. So our job is to come alongside of other people, other, other believers, and we speak into them and we encourage them. And here he says to encourage each other every day. I want this to be our motto in our church. Let us encourage each other to love and to do good. Let's read that together. Encourage others to love and do good. Encouragement is just not something you do to make you feel good. 
We don't come alongside somebody and, you know, how you feel. Because how you feel and what is real are typically not the same, all right? You ever have those days when you, you know, I've told you before, I don't always wake up and feel like I'm happy, you know? I don't feel anything half the time. Half the time I'm numb, right? Uh, You know, I don't wake up and say, man, I just feel like I'm married today. I just wake up and say, man, I hope I can get through the day, right? That's what you do. So we are to encourage each other to do something, to love and to do good. And here's the scripture. Uh, Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's what he's called us to do. And so we come alongside and we encourage each other. We spur, we provoke, we encourage, we exhort. We help you love other people and we help you do good things. And then he continues, and it's very interesting because I've heard each one of these verses quoted independently all the time. But look at the context. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, when we get discouraged, the first thing that we do is we run away from God. When we get discouraged, the first thing we do is we run away from his people. We run away from meeting together. I was with somebody the other day, and they were telling me that they hadn't been involved. They, they kind of were laying low for many, many years. And I said, why? And they told me because their, their lifestyle, and they were involved with some issues. I said, wait a minute. Why would you give up meeting together? Why would you walk away from the place that is going to love you and care for you and build you up more than any other place in the world? Amen? That's what happens here. You go out in the world, you make a mistake, you get one chance. With the, with the family of God, it's over and over and over. And that's what the family of God is. Listen, we, we're up, we're down, we're up, we're down, we're down, we're down, we're up, we're up, we're down, we're up. We're all over the map. God says, encourage each other so that we will not stop meeting together. So when we come in here on Sunday morning, it's not just about hearing a word from, uh, from, the, from uh, a word of like some fact, but it's about not only that, but it's also being together. And the fact that we get to encourage each other, we get to spur one another on to love and good deeds, and not just on Sunday, but on Monday, on Tuesday, and all the meetings that we have all throughout the week. Uh, Proverbs 12:25 says, Anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good work makes it glad. And so here is Louis Zambrini. He's going in. I mean, it's going, that plane is heading right into the ocean. He's having a flashback. He's flashing back. It's going to his childhood. Uh, and he remembers the next scene. He remembers his dad smacking, up, smacking him upside the head when he's sitting in church. Okay? So he was sitting in church, and he's bored. And as he's bored, you know, he's just kind of like looking all around. And then his dad would just give him that smack and just smack him upside his head. And, you know, and then he looked around again. He kept getting hit by his dad. He remembers all these things of not being good enough. He remembers being encouraged by his brother. He remembers going to the Olympics. He, he became an Olympic athlete, incredible runner. And then here he is now. He's going. He's, he's been drafted into the service. He's World War II. And his plane is going straight into the ocean. And he's having these flashbacks. Well, the plane goes right down into the ocean. And uh, they lose six crew members in this, in this crash. Only three of them survive. Three of these men survive, and they live on these rafts for 47 days. 
The longest recorded in all of history, 47 days. They're out in the ocean and just waiting and waiting and waiting. I want you to watch this clip as they're on the raft. Thank God made the stars, Phil. Yes, I do. So you think there's some kind of a grand plan? Why'd we live and the others didn't? Why are we here now? Here's the plan. You go on living the best you can. Try to have some fun along the way. And then one day it's over. You wake up and there's an angel sitting at the edge of your bed. Angel says, Okay, you can ask me all those dumb questions now. I got all the answers. That's what you believe. Yeah. That's what I believe. a moment like that where you're just asking God, what is the plan? God, is there a plan? I can't make sense of life. Is there a plan? And certainly if you could be in a raft for 47 days, I think that's a legitimate question, isn't it? I think I would be asking that question. And I think that at different times and different seasons in my life, I have asked those questions. God, 
what's going on in my life? I don't understand this. And do you ever make a deal with God like that? You know, He's holding on for dear life. God, if you just get me through this, I'll do whatever you ask. I'll give every day of my life. I, I think many people have been there. We, we, God, if you'll just get me through. This is so big. This is so overwhelming. And then what happens is we come back and we forget our promises that we made to God. And, uh, and here, here was a guy out on this raft. And, and, and you know what? He couldn't see what God was doing. And yet God had an incredible plan for this guy's life. Uh, as I said, this is based on a true story, uh, a, a true life. This, is, this actually happened. And you know what? As, as I'm going through this, I'm thinking about my life, and, and I'm thinking about some biblical examples. I think of Joseph. You know, Joseph was sold off into slavery. His brothers betrayed him, threw him off into slavery. And, we, you know, I, I remember we did a tremendous series on the life of Joseph. And, you know, he kept asking, you know, and I'm sure he had to ask. We don't see it asked in Scripture, but we see that those are moments where he's like, God, what are you, what are you doing? I, I, I'm just following you, and you, you, my brother sold me into slavery. I'm in a pit. Uh, God, what, what are you doing? I'm trying to live for you, and Potiphar's wife accuses me. You know, and he, he has, like, there's this big accusation from the, the Potiphar, who was the leading ruler of the day. His wife accused him of, of, you know, inappropriate, of raping her. And just like, wow, it's like, wow, how can all this happen? And you look at this in the Scripture, and then at the end of Joseph's life. Now, remember, we have the God's eye view. When we're reading the Scripture, you, get, you have the God's eye view. You get to see the whole picture. Joseph didn't have that. He was going through step by step, day after day, interacting with life, and then he sees at the end of life, he, uh, uh, all the tables are turned. He's now in, in the leadership of the land where he's at, and in comes his brothers, and he looks at his brothers, and he says to them, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And if we can look at life and understand that, that, you know, we look at life, there's all kind of things that, that are bad around us, Right? There's all kind of things that surrounding us that are troublesome. If we could just have that, that what God, you know, God has a purpose. And what the enemy comes after me with, whether it be a health problem, a financial problem, an emotional problem, a relational problem, when I look at those things in life and I can look at them and say, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, that is life changing. You see, we have to understand God. God has a different view than we have. He sees the whole story. He sees multiple generations. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You know, God says here, he continues on, he says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher. Here's the earth. Here's the heavens. How high is the heaven above the earth? It, it's really high, guys. And he's saying, look, this is, this is the difference. You're down here. You see a very finite view. And God sees this. He sees all of eternity. Do you ever go and research any of your family on Ancestry.com? Anybody do that? You know? I'm afraid to do that. I found some stuff on there that I was like, are you kidding me? 
Ah, the Barner name is, you know, I should have taken my wife's name when I got married, I think. I don't know, all right? It's like, man, the Barner name, we've had some history back there. And you found some of this stuff and it just causes questions, right? You know, God has a plan. It's so much bigger than what you can see. Those people, three, four, five generations ago, they had no clue that this little guy would be in their downline or this big guy would be in their downline. They had no clue that I would be standing up here talking to people about Jesus. They had no clue. And you know what? I have no clue what my downline, I have no clue what my grandkids are going to look like one day and their grandkids and their grandkids. I have no clue at what God has started to do over here that I will see him do over and over and over. And it's like, you know, what? God sees all that. And he says, listen, I am working through your life. What kind of legacy will we leave? Will we leave the legacy that I was disgruntled and hurt and mad and angry all the time because life didn't go my way? Where I leave the legacy that says he trusted in a God that was greater than him. He trusted that God's plans, he didn't know God's plans, but he trusted that God had the plan. And he put his faith there. That, that's, that's what I want my life to be. Um, Psalm 32, verse 6. You know, where do you run to when you're in trouble? Uh, look here at Psalm 32, verse 6. Therefore, let anyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Let anyone who is godly, and you know, that's what we want to be godly people. Here's how it is. You come to the Lord regularly. You come to him and you talk to him every day. He says, surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. He said, he's saying, look, I want the, the godly will come to God all the time, in the good times and in the bad times. Therefore, let anyone who is godly pray to you. Next verse, verse 7. Look here. You are my hiding place. Very interesting. He says, let the godly pray. You, O Lord, are my hiding place. You preserve me from my trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. You are my hiding place. Now, check this out. God promises to be our hiding place. Isn't that powerful? It's like you know, he surrounds us and he holds us under his care. And he says that no matter what's going on in your life, you can hide here. You know what many people do in, our, in this world? They go to a hiding place of their own. They'll go to a bottle. They'll go to a drug. They'll go to anything. Self-medication. We live in a world of self-medication. Self-medication is off the chart. We will do whatever it is to feel better about our life. And listen, you can, you can just dabble with that all the way to completely wrecking your life. And let me say, whether you're dabbling with self-medication or you're completely wrecking your life, it is not the place where you will find safety. You will find safety not in your own strength, in your own achievements, in your own power. You will only find safety in that shelter of the Almighty. He says, you are my hiding place. You know what? Uh, Louis Zambrini, he continues on here, and he goes out, and his life gets wrecked. And I want to leave that up there. I want to ask you, who, where is your hiding place? What is your hiding place? Because I want to read to you what happened to Louis Zambrini's hiding place. Um, and I'll just read this. This is from his biography, uh, Unbroken, the book. Shortly after his feet landed back on American soil, Louis went back with his family to his childhood home in California. So after they're down in the ocean, he lives 47 days. Up comes this, this ship. 
And the movie's pretty cool. It it shows that the ship overshadows them, and he looks over at his his buddy, and he says, Hey, I got good news, and I got bad news. The good news is somebody's helping us. The bad news is it's the enemy. And so the Japanese come and they take them. They take them back to the, to the prisoner of war camp. And in that middle of that prisoner of war camp, he is going uh, through all kind of inhumane, you, you could just imagine, inhumane treatment, uh, humiliation, destroying everything about him. And so they, and that's the whole name of the movie is Unbroken. They tried to break him and he wouldn't break. He wouldn't flinch. He wouldn't let go. And so they even take him out and uh, part of the inhumane, inhumane treatment. So most of the movie goes through the prisoner of war camp. And so in this prisoner of war, Japanese prisoner of war camp, you see all these things that were happening that were bad, that were, I mean, literally, I mean, the guy had taken a beating. They, they took him out to, to record on the, on the radio uh, a message to his parents. So he goes out and records a message to his parents that he's okay. And as he records on, on that uh, on that radio, they, they come back to him, they give him a nice meal, and they said, now we want you to make another recording. Here, read this letter. And it was a letter, to, uh, it was very anti-American and all those type of things that you can imagine after World War II, actually the middle of World War II. And so as, as, he, as he looks at the letter, he says, no, I can't do that. And he said, but if you do it, we'll, we'll give you everything. You can just enjoy this here. There will be all kind of fun. Uh, you know, the food, it's just going to be this wonderful place, and you can just enjoy living here. Or do you want to go back to the prisoner of war camp? He says, I can't read this letter. I disagree with it. I cannot read that on the air. I will not do that. So they take him back to the prisoner of war camp. And there was a guy in there. His name was Bird. They called him the Bird. And the bird was uh, just uh, vicious. He was tough. It was, it was horrible. And so as the bird would come along, he would just be beating these guys all the time. The, uh, Louis comes back to the camp from making his recording, and, uh, and they knew that he would not read the letter. So he says, I'm going to make an example out of him. So he makes this example out of him. He says, every man in this camp. So it was the Allied forces, all the Allied forces, their prisoners of war that Japan had seized. He said, every one of you, you're going to punch Louis. You're going to punch Louis in the face. And so he goes, I can't do that. These men are like, I can't do that. And Louis like, come on, just get this over with. And for hours, he goes on. And these men are just punching Louis, punching him. And, I mean, he's destroyed. He's beaten. This guy, Bird, just destroyed him. At the end of the movie, uh, he, he has a, a, a Bird has Louis holding up. It looks like a railroad spike. And he's holding it up over his head. He says, if he drops it, you're going to shoot him. And he tells the guards, you'll shoot him if, he's gonna, if he drops that. And so he's holding this up, holding this up. He's all shaking all around. And he would not break. And so at, at the end, uh, Louis, Louis comes down, and the Bird keeps beating on him and beating on him and beating on him. The end of the movie, the, 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 the war is over. The prisoners are going to be freed. And uh, it's this big heroic effort. You know, here was Louis Zambrini, former Olympian. Uh, he, he is now freed. He's going to go home. And as he goes home, and you, you see at the end of the movie, these little, little, little statements come across. It says that Louis kept his promise after a few years to build his faith, something of that nature. Louis kept his promise after a few years, and he kind of built his life on faith, and he kept true to his promise in the raft. And so let me tell you what happened, though, before he kept that. He came home, and, uh, and, and according to his biography, it says that shortly after his feet landed back on American soil, Louis went back with his family to his childhood home in California. 
They enjoyed food and conversation, unwrapping several years of unwrapped Christmas gifts. Even seemed, everything seemed peaceful, almost normal. Then his sister Sylvia played a recording of Louis's voice that had been broadcast over public radio during the war. Take it off! Take it off! He shouted, screaming and convulsing. A scene that would, have, that would sadly mark most of the next several years of his life. So he comes home, and, uh, and now he's haunted by this, this anger towards the bird. He, he, he continues on. Like the immature, insecure boy before the Olympics, post-war Louis picked fights over nothing. Then he drowned his emotional scars and nightmares with endless alcohol and suffered the pervasive curse of the prisoners of war. Post-traumatic stress disorder. These men were anxious and depressed. They carried an unspeakable memory of torture and humiliation, an acute sense of vulnerability that, that attended the knowledge of how readily they could be disarmed and dehumanized. And so he had legitimate pain. And folks, there's legitimate pain in our life. And sometimes things come at us. People come at us. Circumstances come at us. Jobs. You name it. And there's things that are really tough. Where is your hiding place? Louis, when he came back, first went to the bottle. First went to self-control. He's going to get this figured out. You know what he did? He devised a plan. He was going to go back to Japan, and he wanted to kill the bird. I mean, it was this anger. He could, it was coming out. It was ruining his marriage. It was ruining everything, his kids. I mean, his wife said, look, either you're going to straighten up or I'm out of here. She ended up going to a Billy Graham crusade one day, and she found her hiding place was in God. And she came home, and she told Louis, she said, Louis, either you go to that Billy Graham crusade or I'm out of here. I'm leaving you. This last clip I want to show you this morning is an actual interview with Louis Zamberini, the actual person, not an actor now. This is an actual interview. He died in 2014. He made it to 97 years old. This is in his uh, later 90s. And I just want you to hear from his kids, his grandson, and Louis himself. He went through some terrible years where he was destroying his marriage. But Louis was saved by his wife's insistence that he go to see a sermon by Billy Graham, who at that time was a very young man, not very well known, but he was speaking in Los Angeles. Louis didn't want to go, but his wife was going to leave him. And he agreed on that basis to go see him speak. And he sat in the back of the audience and he was unhappy and he was sullen. But Graham spoke of things that resonated with Louis, with his experience about how God reaches into people's lives and helps them get through things that seem unsurvivable. I think all the prisoners have basically made the same prayer. Get me hold of life to my family, God, and I'll seek you, I'll serve you. And you make promises while you're under a dire situation. But uh, how many of them keep their promise? I didn't. And so my life fell apart. And it was at that moment that he made this realization to, to himself that he thought God had actually helped him through this, and he owed God something, and he realized what he needed to do. So I went forward in the meeting, 
and made my confession of faith in Christ, and I couldn't believe what happened. While I was still on my knees, my life changed in a matter of moments because I knew I was still getting drunk, and I knew that I forgave my guards, and I knew it was a miracle because I forgave the bird. <laughs> and that was the first night. The first night in two and a half years, I didn't have a nightmare, and I haven't had one since. And Louis realized that God can forgive him for all the rotten things he did in his life, that he ought to be able to forgive those that had done him wrong. So forgiving the guards and the bird uh, was actually salvation for him. It really turned him around in an instant. He decided he needed to test his forgiveness to see if he really had truly achieved it. And he went back to Japan to meet the guards who had, who had abused him so terribly. And he went to Sagama prison where they were all being held for war crimes. He went to every single one and looked him in the eye and told him that he forgave him for mm -hmm. the treatment that he received when he was a prisoner of war. He felt no animosity. He just felt compassion, and they couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. It was, it was a wonderful experience. He knew he had truly forgiven them. I think it's incredible that he forgave them. That's a lesson that he taught my father and me. By hating somebody, I'm not hurting them. I'm only hurting myself. You can forgive anybody. Forgiveness is always possible. Forgiveness is always possible. And Think about this this morning, because he made his hiding place in Christ. He, took, he, he, he surrendered all that anger to Jesus. When your hiding place is found in Jesus, there's no safer place. He was going to all these things, and you, you read about his life. He, he had messed up his life. His wife was really having these nightmares, as you can imagine, rightfully so. Why? Because he was legitimately harmed. But you know what happened? He first got forgiveness from God for his own account with God. Psalm 103 says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression. He's removed our sin from us. That's what happened. He first came and he got forgiven. And did you hear what he said? He said, at that moment that I knelt down and trusted Christ, I forgave those who offended me. He forgave the perpetrators. He forgave the bird. He said, you see, they said that they flew, he flew back over to meet those prison guards. The bird would not meet with him. The main guy, the bird, would not meet with him. But did you hear what he said? I forgave him. He didn't have to have the conversation. He forgave him. He let it go. And, and, and look, what, look what the Scriptures tell us here. Um, Ephesians 4, 31, and 32, 31 through 32 Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of it. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you know what, as long as you have been legitimately harmed, you can be bitter. He says, get rid of all bitterness. We know that we've legitimately been harmed. You have been harmed. I have been harmed. Things have been harmful to us. The Scripture tells us here, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate towards one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ, uh, just as Christ God forgave you. In Jesus Christ, God forgave you. So let me give you a few definitions here. Bitterness. Aristotle said that bitterness was the resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. 
the resentful spirit. So it's like, man, I got to get back. I got to get even. No, we got to get reconciled. How, we, we, have, we have to let go of this anger. We have to let go of the bitterness. And this is the command of the Scripture. It's not about did you win or did you lose. It's about, you know what, you win when you let it go. Uh, how about wrath? Wrath speaks of an outburst of the moment. You know, you ever get around somebody that has those outbursts? He says, get rid of that. Put that away. He says anger speaks of that settled disposition. You know, when, when you're angry, you just drive your position down. And it's like, I'm not budging. You've hurt me, and I'm never talking to you again, right? Anger. He says, he says you've got you to put that away. He says, and be kind one towards another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. That, you know what? That's what God did for us. He was kind towards us. How does God love me? He's kind. The same kindness that God loved, with, loved me with, I have to now love other people with. I have to show other people that. And just as God in Christ forgave you. So this morning I ask you, you know, why forgive? Why should you forgive? Because Jesus has forgiven you. Uh, if you've come to Christ and you've trusted him, he died on the cross, he paid for your sin, it's over, settled once for all, forever. If you have accepted him, he says that you're, it's paid in full, it's over. He's not bringing it up again. Aren't you thankful for that? The past is the past. It's gone. And my, even the sins that we're continuing to work through here, that we, as we live our life, we're still falling. God says, I'm not condemning you. I don't have anger for you. I, you're, you're covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. So I can forgive because Jesus has forgiven. And so this is what I want our motto to be. Forgiven people, forgive people. Would you say that with me? Read it. Forgiven people... Forgive people. I think we need to write that down. We need to put it on our, the dash of our car. We need to put it on our refrigerator. We need to put it everywhere that you go. Why? Because somebody's offending you all the time. Somebody may have offended you ten years ago, and you're still holding that grudge. Guess what? That person doesn't even know that you're holding a grudge. That person may not even care. We forgive people because we have been forgiven by God. He forgave me. I can let that go now. I don't have to come over there. You know, I'm the one who's in jail. When you don't forgive, you're the one who's in jail. And it's like, be free. Don't, I don't have to self-medicate. I don't have to do any of those things. I, don't have, I have a hiding place that's in God, and I am fully accepted right there. No matter who's hurt me and taken away my value. No matter who's destroyed my heart, my soul, my character, right? God says your soul is protected in Him. That is your hiding place. Forgiven people forgive people. Why should we forgive? For Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. You know, there, one of the older translations translate that there and says that we should forgive for the sake of Jesus Christ. For Christ's sake to forgive. You know what? If there, there's one great reason to forgive. Because Jesus forgave you. And man, as I'm following him, he says, people are going to hurt me. I've got to let that go. It revolutionized Louis Zambrini's life. Revolutionized his life. Did you hear him? Two and a half years he had nightmares. Never had another one. Never had another one. That man lived to be 97 years old. Uh, whenever he came to Christ, he was, I would say, in his 20s. And it changed his life, and he was able to live for God. This morning, I want to invite you to Jesus. I want you to accept his forgiveness, and then I want us all to forgive each other. Not just in the church, in your family, in your community, in your office, wherever God has taken you.
Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to Jesus. Folks, God did not pour out his anger on you. He poured it out on Jesus, the Son of God. And I invite you to trust him this morning. As far as the east is from the west, so he takes your sin away. All you got to do is accept that. Open your heart. Humble. God's looking for a humility this morning for you just to humble yourself and say, God, you're much bigger than I am. And I'm surrendering to you. And if that's you this morning, I invite you to trust Christ. Would you open your heart to Jesus this morning and pray something like this to him? Dear God, just, just tell him this. Dear God, I come before you. I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things, and I know that I've offended you, the holy God of the universe. But you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You came back to life again for me. And I invite you into my heart and life this morning. And for others, if you've trusted Jesus already, Actually, for all of us, maybe there's somebody that God's laid on your heart this morning. There's a name. As I'm talking about unforgiveness, as you you hear about Louis and the bird and how his anger at the bird and how the the bird caused so much pain, there's somebody comes to your mind immediately this morning. I want you to go and take that name to God right now. Just say, God, I, I can't forgive this person without you. I can't do this. This person destroyed my character, destroyed my name, destroyed my how I think about myself. This person destroyed me. God, I need you to help me forgive that person, and I can't do it apart from you. Lay that at the foot of Jesus this morning. And as we leave this week, let's go back and work through this with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because Louis, he got on his knees before God, and when he realized his forgiveness... Oh, his life changed. He didn't have to hold anybody anymore. And God can do the same power for you. It could change your life. God, be with each one this morning. Be with those that opened their hearts and just trusted you as their Savior. Be with all of us, Lord. We've all been hurt. We've all been offended. Somebody has hurt us. But God, you told us to forgive for your sake. In your name we pray. Amen. Come on, give it up for those people that made that decision this morning. Come on, stand and sing with me. Chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am.